What a blessing this morning. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 as we move forward in our series on the family, a guide to thrive. Continuing on this topic of two-ness becoming oneness, this is part two of that. Um, The way I had mapped out the sermon series at the beginning before God, really God began laying this on my heart to do a series on the family back in October. And the way I saw it going has been a little bit different. I map out things from a distance, so to speak, several months ago, but then the closer we get, the more I'm looking at the specific details, and there's just so much to say about the family. Um, So I have changed a little bit of the order of the messages and expanded a few of the topics. And last Sunday, we looked at Tunis becoming oneness, oneness and essentially just talked about all the liabilities of the fall. Um, last week's message, if you were here, you essentially heard what's wrong with humans. And if you walked away encouraged, the encouragement was this. Oh, thank God I'm not the only one. <laughs> that was about the only encouragement you could take away from last week. Um, But this week, I was going to move forward and talk about the husband's role. But after doing last week's message, it was like, all right, well, Matt, you've shared with God's people everything that's wrong with humanity and how it is creating dysfunctional relationships with marriage. Why don't you also share about what's right and good and what God has made marriage to be? So before we move forward into what the role of the husband and the role of the wife, um, this, is, this is somewhere I did not think I would be this week, last week. Um, one verse I want to share with you today, Genesis 2.24. It's a verse that we've looked at before, but I want us to take a deep dive on it this morning. This will be a simple message. You know most of this probably, but just as a reminder... The word of our God says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Our statement today is this. Genesis 2.24, that verse that I just read, is not just the formation of marriage. It is the formula for marriage. It's not just the first marriage. It's to be instructive for what every marriage is supposed to be like. That this is not just the story of the origin. This is the laying out of the pattern design, the formula for what God has intended marriage to be and why He created it. Now I know last week we talked about all of the obstacles and those are real. And if you pretend they are not real and live in fairy tale world, you will hurt yourself. But the formula, the design, the original intention is still just as real. After sin entered the world, God did not scrap marriage. In fact, marriage becomes the picture 
for how God is going to save the whole world because marriage is the picture of Christ and the church. So as I thought about it, I was like, listen, well, Matt, you talked about everything bad. Let's talk about why the formula is good and how marriage is good and how it works according to God's word. Well, I'm going to give you some basic things this morning, but you know what? We live in a time where, honestly, basic questions that seemingly have obvious answers are confusing to some. Like, this is not to step into the culture war here on Sunday morning, but it's just an honest observation. How many of us in the room just 20 years ago would have thought it would be possible that in Western culture to not be able to answer this question, what's a woman? Like, seriously, that's where we are as a culture. So I, I know that you all know what a woman is and what a man is, but as a culture, our culture struggles with this question. And I'll tell you the reason that our culture struggles with what a woman is and what a man is is because our culture doesn't know their God. Because if you know your God, you also know what He has made is good. And Romans 1 talks about this, that the more you reject your Creator, the further your mind becomes darkened. And then even simple questions like, is it a boy or is it a girl? becomes extremely hard becomes extremely hard um, and again this is not to jump into the culture war but just take a minute where we are as a culture um, and I know this is broadcast on Facebook I hope we don't get banned for me talking like this um, but the new movement now the trans movement which is you can become a boy if you are a girl, or maybe you were always meant to be a girl, if, even though you are a boy, and you can make a change, and you can do that. Like, and it is spelled out and given to us, presented by our culture, as compassion of helping people uncover and discover who they've always been all the time. Now, what's interesting to me, I was talking to my dad on the phone this week about this. When you look at Romans 1, Romans 1 describes sexual deviance. It describes homosexuality as that sexual deviance and homosexuality and misbehavior and sin, when it comes to that, as the rejection of the Creator. It doesn't even get to transsexual. Like, it was this realization to me, I was reading Romans 1, I was like, as a culture, we're not even like dealing with what the Bible says is the consequence of rejecting God. We're dealing with now something even beyond the consequence. It's something even more dysfunctional than it is. And friends, I'm not pointing the finger at culture. Listen, it's not my responsibility to judge those outside the church. That's what Paul said. But for us as the people of God, friends, we have to be a light, a city on a hill, a light on a pedestal. 
that we might have answers and that our lives might show the light and the love of Christ and what God has intended life to be in this generation because our neighbors aren't bad, folks. Yeah, we're all sinners, but we're created in the image of God. And God loves all of our neighbors, even the ones that we perceived are the most confused among us. Jesus came to die for them too. And I want to start here in Genesis chapter 2 and just look at some basic things about what God says about how he has created the world to work. When I look at Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. There are several things in Genesis 2 that we see, and that first is this, is that men and women are simultaneously opposite and the same. We're both different and the same all at the same time. Uh, Genesis 2.18, a verse that we've looked at in previous weeks, um, talks about this. In fact, God created woman to be the opposite of man. God created woman to be an opposite of man. In Genesis 2.18, this comes from the Amplified Bible, it says, now the Lord God said it is not good, meaning beneficial, for the man to be alone. And I will make him a helper, one who balances him, a counterpart of who he is suitable and complementary for him that God when he made woman looked at what man was and said listen this is incomplete I'm going to make him a helper opposite him that's literally what the language means that he looked at man and he said I'm going to make something different and I'm going to make something different than the man to be his complement so God created woman as opposite to man. Also, opposites are equals according to the Bible. And that's not just true to the Bible, that's just we know this to be true. Is that God made woman not subservient to man, nor did he make woman to be the superior to man, but made woman to be the complement to man, to be opposite to man. I know there's a lot of, of vindictiveness and hatred towards what is perceived to be the patriarchy today. That essentially the will of powerful men through the last several hundred years to impose their view of value and worth on men and women and how it has shaped culture. Well, that patriarchy didn't start with God. God did not make man here and woman here. God made man here and woman here. We are opposite yet equal. This is why 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. We're going to look at this later in our study on the family because I know some of us may look at this and go, oh, what do, you, what do you mean God didn't create man here and woman here? God says right there that God made woman weaker, weaker. That doesn't mean subservient. 
it means different. The idea there is weakness in the sense of delicate. Like, compare it in two ways, and we'll talk about this in future weeks. That if man is a thermos, okay, woman is a china cup. They both serve the same purpose, but one you create, one you treat with honor, you put it in the cabinet, you put it on display, the other one you throw in the back of your pickup truck. (laughs) There's a difference there, and this is what the Bible is talking about. And this is why even as a, uh, in fact, I have little people at my house I have a little boy who's two, and also I have little girls. And when the little girls get out of line, I'll say, baby, stop that. You know you don't need to be doing that. You need to listen to your mom. And then if Peter does it, my son, I'll say, what are you doing? (laughs) He does that notion right there. That is not acceptable. You do not talk to your mom that way. I don't talk to my daughters that way. Why? It's theological. The kid's a thermos. I need to get that under control. He needs to know his place in the world as a man. I don't talk to my girls that way. Not to patronize them, but I'm honoring their difference because I want them to one day grow up and be around men that also honor them and think, I want to honor that guy as opposed to someone who's going to run them down and talk to them like they're subservient. This is why 1 Peter in the Living Translation says this, in the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. According to the Bible, again, the Bible's not the patriarchy. God, from the beginning, made man and woman opposite and equal. The creatures beneath Adam were beneath Adam. God was over Adam, but Eve was next to him. But not only, remember I said men and women are simultaneously opposite and the same. Not only did God create woman as the opposite to man, Not only are opposites equals, but when Adam first saw the woman, he saw sameness. When he first saw the woman, he saw sameness. Look in verse number 23 of your scripture. When Adam sees Eve, he says, the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Kenneth Matthews, biblical scholar, writes this, Adam's response centers on the sameness that he and the woman share as opposed to the creatures. If you remember in Genesis, what has Adam just done? He's just named all the animals. And among the animals, there was no suitable helper found. There was no mate for Adam. I, could, I wonder how that went. Like, we don't know from the scripture, did, 
was Adam expecting to kind of see something along the way that might work? Or was it just from the outset, none of this is going to work? I can just imagine going, Adam going, uh, no, no, definitely not. No, no. And then he gets to this place where he's alone and God makes woman. But when Adam first sees Eve, he sees sameness. He sees bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, emphasizing we're both made in the image of God. We both have value. Man is not here and woman is here. This is not the message of the Bible. Yeah, the Bible contains stories where women were in abusive relationships because the Bible tells the story honestly and human history is filled with stories about sinners. But the prescriptive nature of the Bible is not one of patriarchy. It's one of equality, sharing the grace of life with each other that men and women are created in the image of God to be different and the same all at the same time. This is what the Bible has set out. Men and women are simultaneously opposite and the same. Number two. Number two is this. This is a, a faster one. Marriage is two opposite people becoming one as two complementary parts. Marriage is two opposite people becoming one as two complementary parts. I want us to look at these two verses again. Look in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. A complementary opposite. That's what I'm making. But again in verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is where we get our idea of two-ness becoming oneness. When Andrea and I got married, as a part of our marriage ceremony, we had something called a unity candle. Now, I've seen other ways that this is done. Some pour sand into a jar, and some do the candle and stuff. It's just a picture of two becoming one. Well, here's how a unity candle is supposed to work. You have two smaller candles sitting aside a typically larger single candle in the middle. And before the ceremony, the mom and mother-in-law, the moms, will come and they will light the candles on the side. And then during the ceremony, those two candles will be taken by the husband, by the groom and then by the bride and join together to light the center candle but there's one key detail that after you light the center center candle what are you supposed to do with your candle remember you blow it out to signify listen these two have now become one and this is we get that picture from the bible but here's what i want to also say to you we don't break the candles and throw them away. We put them back in the holders as a constant reminder that we were two, now we are one in marriage. But as a reminder, a married couple is two parts. It is a constant choice as married people that I remind myself. It is a constant reminder for me that I am no longer alone. That I have a partner. I have a complement. 
I have an opposite that I am a part of a one with. So I must, every aspect of my life has to run through the constant thought and memory and reality that I am only half of this relationship and I belong to a one. This is the one of the largest problems that we experience in marriage. And sometimes in early marriage, it takes a little while to learn this. That two are no longer two, they're one. My wife and I went on a carnival cruise. This is back in 2011. And we went up to the deck and we got, we're sitting by the pool and she and I sat down in the hot tub. And it was a large hot tub there on the carnival cruise. And there was this couple that sat down in there and they had just gotten married and we started talking with them and then two young girls came and i'd say 20s something like that came down and they sat in the hot tub they weren't connected to us at all and the husband of this new relationship started flirting with these girls and this is his honeymoon and then he takes his phone and he hands it to me and he scoots over next to these girls and he puts his arms around them like this he said, hey, you take a picture for me so I can take a picture with these girls. I need, to, I need to text my boys back home so they know I'm still me and that nothing has changed. His wife is sitting in the hot tub with us. And I was thinking, you are an idiot. <laughs> you, you are, brother, everything has changed. You have no idea what you're talking about. And unfortunately, there are those of us who think that, well, nothing's changed. We're just married now. No, everything's changed. Two have become one. For time, I need to go forward. The roles of man, God, man, and woman in the first marriage are to be instructive. Verse number 18, God assesses the needs of man. He makes man's need his burden. If we're thinking about how God's formula for marriage works today, I want you to see where this started. God looked at Adam. God looked at the man and said, it's not good for him to be alone. And here's the amazing thing, is that God saw Adam's need and made Adam's need his burden to solve. I, I want to say that to you because for those of you who are maybe looking for a mate right now, and that is the desire of your heart, or you have a child that's looking for a mate, the first story tells us God knows the desires of your heart. And if God made Adam's burden his burden, God also makes your burden his burden. God assesses the need of the man and he makes it his burden. Not Adam will go make do with something amongst the animals, but no, I'm going to make. I'm going to fix this. Also is this, God makes the woman out of man. He knows exactly what Adam needs and wants. See, compare and contrast this with God, how God made man and the animals. God made man and the animals in verse 19. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast. Men and, men and the animals are made out of dirt. Man and animals were made from the dirt, but woman is made from the very thing next to man's heart. She is taken from a rib 
out of Adam and made into woman. And the reason I want to encourage you today with this is that Psalm 37, 3 through 5 is trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Friends, if you want to be married and God has not yet opened that door, you can trust him with this. If this is the desire of your heart, it's there because God put it there. Also, I don't have time, but let's keep going. As the first father of the bride, God brings the woman to the man. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? Her mother and I. I say that all the time in just about every marriage I do. Who gives this woman to be married to this man? You know the very first daddy to bring the daughter to the, the husband was God? He formed her as her heavenly father and look specifically in verse number 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman, he brought her to the man. This is not the patriarchy. This is not treating a woman as a piece of property. This is a daddy and a daughter saying, I'm giving a piece of me to you. This is how God has created this to work. Also, I love D. Man sees the woman of his dreams and the work of his God. If you look down in verse 23, it says, the man said this, this. Theologians say it's, you could even stop there. It's almost like Adam sees Eve and it's like, this, this, boy, this. He is at a loss for words. Some translations say, at last, this is it. He knows that Eve is special. But the next thing is that man claims and acts on his blessing. Not only does he see her, he claims her and says, this one is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And guys, there's something there instructive for us too. That as God brings you to the person, the woman that he has for you, you are to act and claim the blessing that God has given you. Not grabbing or snatching, but receiving in gratitude. Also, again, I apologize. Uh, for um, I don't have enough time, but I, I do want to say these two more things. Is that God places the responsibility of headship on the man. I've never seen this before this week. I've never seen this before this week in the scripture. Here's the question. Look at verse 224. Who's doing the talking? Who's doing the talking? Well, it looks like the narrator, which would be Moses. Because man speaks in verse 23, then the man said, and then verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Who's doing the talking? Jesus tells us. In Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, oh man, who does Jesus say is doing the talking? God's doing the talking. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, what's interesting here is this. God is doing the talking. Now, here's the next thing. Who is God talking to? We'll look at it. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God is speaking instructions and putting responsibility on the man. This whole idea of a man being the leader of his home doesn't come from Ephesians. It comes from Genesis, where God places headship and responsibility. By the way, headship is leadership. It's not dictatorship. You've heard me say that before. God places the responsibility of leadership of his home on the man and gives the man the instructions. For this marriage to work, he says, you, sir, must leave. You, sir, must cleave. He puts the responsibility of the relationship on the man. And by the way, in Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 9, when there's a failure in the relationship, who does he hold responsible? And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees. But the Lord God called to them. No, the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Which comes down to this last thing that I want to share with you. Is that God commands the man not to let her go. There's plenty of places in the Bible where we can talk about the responsibilities of a woman in a marriage relationship. But God's not addressing those in Genesis 2. God's instruction is to the man here. He is saying to the man, Adam, you're to leave your father and mother and hold fast to your wife. Leave and cleave. There's a story in the scripture that takes these two words and uses them. It's the story of Ruth. Ruth is a woman who is, has lost her husband and now lives with her in-law, lives with her mother-in-law as a widow, and they're both widows. And these two words are used. She's trying, the Naomi, the mother-in-law, is trying to tell her daughters-in-laws to go away but listen to what they say turn back my daughters and go your way for I am too old to have a husband if you should have hope even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons would you therefore wait until they are grown would you therefore refrain from marrying no my daughters for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me they lifted up their voices and wept again and Orpah kissed her mother, but Ruth clung to her. It's the same word from Genesis 2. Ruth would not let her go. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return to your sis- after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave. Do not urge me to leave. Same word out of Genesis 2. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. 
For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Friends, this is the kind of leaving and holding that is pictured here in Genesis 2.24. God has made a man and a woman not subservient to each other, but complementary to each other. And God brings His daughter to His Son. God brings the woman to the man and tells her, don't let her go. You've got to let go of everything else, but you don't let her go. God, friends, this is God's design for marriage. And as we'll learn next week, it's the picture of Christ's relationship with us, where he has come to us and we are his bride and he won't let us go. But in thinking about how to make marriage work here in 2023, You don't let her go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our hearts tonight, this morning, as we think about these things. Will you seal these things to our heart? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.